Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are guests with us. I realize that there are a lot of places you could go on this Christmas Sunday, and you chose here. Thank you for making us your home for an hour. It's our hope that we could accentuate the purpose of Christ's coming so that you can understand it better and make your holiday more rich. Turn with me over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 15. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 15. Then the Lord spoke again to, to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Verse 13. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will also try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse 15, he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. Lord, help us in our study. I'm going to talk about three things today. Man's resistance, God's persistence, and Emmanuel's resilience. The backdrop is that Ahaz is the king of Judah. And I need to amend a statement that I made last week. I was describing the reigns under which Isaiah served as prophet, the monarchs. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and we believe he was martyred during the reign of Manasseh, who would have been the fifth king. And I said that Ahaz was not great, but not real bad. I was wrong. He was horrible. He was horrible. He was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. And Isaiah happens to be prophesying, trying to help him understand in the midst of his rebellion and wickedness toward God that the Lord still wants to help him. Our God is amazing. There is no way to plumb the depth of his kindness. You can't get to the bottom of it. Ahaz was just about the, the most wicked king in all of Judah to this point. He would only be exceeded by his grandson, who would be Manasseh, that would be the most wicked king in all of Judah. But it says that he did some things like the, like the kings of Israel, who were horrible. Now, again, those of you who do not know, this is the period of the divided monarchy where you have two separate nations that made up the people of Israel, but there were two nations, one to the north called Israel and one to the south called Judah. Two different nations, two different monarchs, two different governments, and for the most part, different prophetic voices, though they did cross-pollinate on a regular basis. And to the north, you didn't have one good king in all of the reigns during the gov governmental period of the northern kingdom. Not one. Not one. You had one that wasn't really, really bad, but he wasn't good, and that was Jehu. All the others were horrible. And I mention this because the writer of Second Kings 
in chapter 16 makes a point to say that Ahaz did all of the wickedness of the kings to the north in Israel. That's how bad he was. They needed, they needed something to let people know in history how, how really bad he was. And the best way they could describe it was he was like those fellows that were up north. And it says that he let his children pass through fire, which many offered him up to this horrible deity. Some called him Molech. Some called him Baal at different nations. But it was a deity in which you needed to offer children and, and as burnt offerings. It was horrible. I only magnify the wickedness of this king to amplify the kindness of our God. Why doesn't God just take him out? Do something with this guy. He is horrible. He's messing up the names of, of, of all who have gone before him, namely David. He's ruining the, the beautiful lineage that was handed down to him. He didn't earn it. It was given to him. He got it by way of inheritance, and he is messing up not only the throne, but he's messing up everybody else, the whole nation is in trouble because of him. Do something with him, oh God. Why don't you take him out? We always have our ideas about how to fix problems. We think we know best about what the solution should be. But remember, every time we think we have a solution about somebody that we think should not be on the planet anymore or that they need judgment immediately. Remember, somebody is thinking that about you. <laughs> you are on the lips of somebody and they are saying, God, do something with them. Get them, oh God, do you know how they hurt me? Oh God, do you know? God listens to our cries for judgment upon people regularly. The whole earth is asking God to do something about somebody or something. And his standard operating procedure is mercy. Anybody happy about that? <laughs> what it should do now is curb your vocabulary, your conversations with God. Because the last thing you want to do is be one who is somewhat hypocritical. Jesus says, be careful now. Don't, don't judge lest you want to be judged. Now, that doesn't mean we can't judge. We can judge. We just can't judge wrongly. So he says, if you judge the speck in your brother's eye, the splinter, and ignore the log in your own, you're messed up. Judgment's coming back on you. So my point is, rather than us trying to figure out how in the world we can get God, manipulate him to get that person, why don't we cry out for mercy? Because we've got big logs in our own eye that have blinded us to the reality of our own sin. And hypocrisy is being practiced when we say, get him, but not me. The Lord comes to Ahaz in the midst of a very difficult moment. Two kings have aligned. The northern king 
His name is, is Pekah, and he is over the, the northern kingdom of Israel. And he has aligned with the Aramaeans, and their king is called Rezin. And they together have come to destroy and take over Judah. And everybody in Judah is scared. They don't know what to do. Some of the people in Judah are probably saying, well, <laughs> with the king we've got, I can imagine God would do this to us. I mean, it's horrible up there in the White House, in Congress, Supreme Court. Our leaders are really, really bad. Surely God is going to judge us for it. So many of them were saying, eh, since our leadership is bad, we probably deserve to be taken over. Some were saying, God, yes, we're bad, but we can still cry out for mercy. Still cry out for mercy. And so we have the situation here where everybody is shaking like leaves over these two smoldering firebrands to the north that are doing what they can to take over as much property as they can. And Ahaz realizes he's in trouble. He tries to reach out to the king of Assyria. and says, says to him, I'll form a pact. Now Assyria is way to the north of both of these kingdoms. I'll form a pact with you. Can you come and help me? And Assyria pretty much says yes. Ahaz pays him a whole lot of money to make it happen. But it doesn't matter. Because God is going to do something for Ahaz that he doesn't deserve. And this is where Isaiah comes in. Isaiah, what a prophet. I mean, so faithful. Here's the word of the Lord, fearless in his utterance. Loves God and loves his people. And even loves those who don't love God or his people. Comes to Ahaz and says, ask the Lord. Talk to him. And and when you ask, ask for a sign. Because God wants to do a miracle for you. Ahaz says this, I will not talk to God. I won't ask him, nor will I believe him for a sign. Man's resistance. I am am glad that God ignores most of our stupid conversations with him. Those times when we were really mad at him, how can you let this happen? When we accused him of neglect, When we ignored him by not going to church anymore, I ain't going. I ain't going. You didn't answer my prayer. We didn't read his Bible anymore. We didn't go to small groups anymore. Some tragedy happened in our life and we left him, the one who could help us the most. We left him. And he ignores all of that. I'm using the word ignore very liberally. He sees it and chooses not to judge. He's merciful and kind. Here Ahaz says, I won't talk to God. Now, what would make a man when a prophet comes and says, God wants to help you out of this horrible situation in which judgment is sure. These folks are stronger, bigger, and more powerful than you, and you deserve it. But God wants to help you. This is what Isaiah is saying. God wants to help you. This is a happy day. And Ahaz says, I don't care. When you get there, that's a bad place. That's a bad place. Now, how in the world could Ahaz get there? 
Well, that's why I laid out before the kind of king he was. Ahaz had some issues, some deep issues in his soul. He even went to another kingdom in Samaria, excuse me, in Assyria, looked at how they did worship and brought back architectural renderings of the way they offered to their God and told the people in Judah, build me an altar like they have in Assyria. Right here in Jerusalem. He was messed up. If you've gone that far, committed yourself to be that distant from God, not just his person, but his ways, his government, and everything else, when somebody offers you an opportunity for God to reveal himself to you and to your people, and that through your compliance, generally the last thing you want to do is confirm the fact that you're wrong. No, wait a minute. If I ask for a sign and he does it, what about the altar I just built that was from the pagan gods? What about the children I led to the fire? What about all the decisions I made that were against? I've got too much invested in my disobedience. I've been going wrong really long, and I don't know that I will ever be able to turn away from that which I've done for a long time, and then all of a sudden just start serving God. Please hear me. Even though you may have gone wrong long, there is never a time where it's too late. Never. God wants to touch you and help you and strengthen you and even fix all the dumb stuff you've done in the past. You can turn. You can turn. This is what repentance is all about. God allows us the privilege of turning away from all, people want to know what, what, is, what, is so, what sin is so bad that you can't turn from. Well, Jesus did say one. He said, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unfor unforgivable sin. Now, people ask me every once in a while, Pastor, have I done that? You know, I, I got mad at God one day and I said some things. Have I done that? I said, if, if you're asking me the question, trying to figure out if you've done it, you feel bad about it. No, because the only way you would be, the only way you would have done that is to have not been able to ask the question about whether you've done it and feel bad about it. Because the only way you can feel bad about it is the Holy Spirit is with you. And if you have blasphemed him, he's not with you anymore and you have no ability to feel conviction about what you've done. So if you're in church today, <laughs> you're okay. I didn't say you were right. I said you're okay. Other than that, whatever you've done, the blood covers. Are you listening to me? Now, why in the world do you say, well, Pastor, why not that one on the Holy Spirit? Why not, why not that one too? What's so special about that one? Well, see, it's not just saying something really bad about the Holy Spirit. That's not it. I mean, everybody says stupid things. That's, that's our Adamic nature. That's Adam working through us. It's this. There's a progression throughout Scripture that allows us to know how redemption works. The Old Testament is full of the Father's plea for Israel, people, to come to him. The Father working, trying to bring people, draw them back to his word and his kindness and his blessings and his goodness and his tolerance and his patience. But people rejected the Father, even in the midst of his goodness. 
And so then he said, okay, I'll send my son. He sent his son. Miracles, prophecy, words that had never been heard before. I mean, smart people had been before. Solomon, finest mind ever other than Christ. And prophecy had been given just honey off men's lips directly from the throne. Things had been said, but nothing had been said like Jesus said it. Wow. Words of life came from this man. And he healed everybody who came to him. Nobody was rejected if you were sick. He cared for people. Fed folks when they could have gone to McDonald's. I mean, there was no, nothing, nothing holding them there. They just wanted to hear what he had to say. And he decided, eh, let me feed you. 5,000 men, not to mention women and children. That was a 15,000 people dinner he fed. He was so kind and so good, and yet people rejected him. So they rejected the father, they rejected the son. He said, those are forgivable. Now I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he sent the Holy Spirit. And if you ultimately reject the Holy Spirit, and I'm not talking about just saying one little thing out of emotional uh, discord. I'm talking about rejecting all that you know to be true that God has done. The Holy Spirit is the last resort. And the only way we can get right is if God leads us to him. We can't wake up one day and just say, oh, I think it's a good day to repent. Doesn't happen like that. We are too messed up on the inside. The only way we can get right is if Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's the only way. So if you, you reject the Father and reject the Son, the only thing He had left was the Holy Spirit. You reject Him, what else is there to draw you? That's why it's unforgivable. And fortunately, if you're in church, you haven't done that. Everything else, blood covers. Ahaz, you've messed up royally. You're the worst king ever. You get the prize. But God is going to do something really special if you'll just ask. Just ask, ask. Mm -mm, I ain't going to do it because it's going to ruin my reputation as a rebel. I've got too much invested in my long wrong. And this is where God persists. At some point, all of us have been Ahaz. Yes. Mm -hmm, sorry. Merry Christmas. All of us have been Ahaz. <laughs> Every one of us. We've heard God has given us offers. M ministers have ministered. And you sat there and listened. And when you heard, you walked out without responding. They told you, ask God for salvation. And eh, not now. Ask for a sign. No, I don't want to do that either because he might do it and then I have to change. <laughs> Are you listening? Yes. I mean, Ahaz sounds like a real bad character, but he's us. He's us. We've all done it that way at some point. And Isaiah says, well, that's not going to stop God. Simply because you won't respond, God's not done. Don't think he's done because he cares about you and he cares about these people. Let me tell you what he's going to do. Is it too much for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Okay, that's fine. He's got a lot of it. He's got a lot of patience. And he cares about you so much 
that he's going to do this all by himself. And this will be a sign to you. First of all, these two firebrands, these smoldering wicks up there to the north, don't worry about them. God's going to take care of them. And this will be a sign to you. There will be a virgin who will have a child. And you will call his name Emmanuel. God's persistence. See, we were going wrong. We were, we were doing wrong. We were thinking wrong. And God all by himself decided to save us in spite of ourselves. Not because of ourselves. We weren't good enough to deserve the gift we got. It's his mercy and his kindness that attends our wicked way every day. And he said, I'm going to send this sign. Now, some prophecy is all about future. Some prophecy is about that moment. And some prophecy is about both. You have to read and understand your Bible and look at history to know which is which. And we believe that there may have been two applications to this prophetic utterance. That there may have been a virgin that day who later would be with child. Not that she actually had a child like Mary did without the aid of a man, but that she was a virgin when Isaiah prophesied. And then she got married and had a child. And that child was then named Emmanuel. And as a result of that happening in the next generation, the two smoldering wicks to the north were actually destroyed. And it also can relate to what would happen some 730 years later, where Mary, a virgin, will be with child. We do know this, that Matthew 1.23 reflects back on this passage and said, in Joseph's dream, when God tells Joseph, take this woman, don't worry about it, what I'm doing in her is of me, you take her as your wife, for the child that is born in her, birth, conceived in her, is of me, for it says the virgin will be with child. We do know that Matthew took this passage in Isaiah and superimposed it there and said this is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, you say, well, pastor, is that normal Bible theology? I mean, is that, is that the way you, you can interpret? Can you do it both and? Yeah. You just have to know your Bible well enough, and you have to... <laughs> Finish it for me. Finish it. Read your Bible every day. So when David was ready to build a temple and God wouldn't let him, Nathan came to him and said, um, yeah, you can't build a temple, but I'm going to build a house for you even though you wanted to build a house for me. And this house will start with a son, and he's going to have a throne that will never end. Now, we know that throne is the throne that Christ has. But we also know that the prophecy goes on to say, and when he, he, he does wrong, I will discipline him. So he's also talking about Solomon. So it's both and. And so we see that God speaks to a generation about what's going to happen to them then. And he also applies many times that prophetic word to what's going to happen later. It has two applications. 
And so the people then, we don't have any record of the child that was born that was called Emmanuel, nor do we have any record of the virgin about whom he may have been speaking that later got married and actually had a child like we all have children. We don't have any record of that. But we do know that God has the ability to superimpose the reality of what that people need in that day to hear what they need to hear so that they can believe in his word and use it for later purposes so that the prophetic word can have greater implication for the entire world. Did you understand anything I just said. If not, go back to the podcast. So what we see is God coming in in, in, in encapsulation now in summary, God coming and saying, I'm going to do this on my own and it's going to be miraculous. The virgin will be with child. God is sending help even when we did not ask for it. He cared about us that much. Listen, this magnifies the entire passage, which has become so often said that we lose the power of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. What a passage. This is what love looks like. Even though man did not want it, man did not deserve it, man tried to resist it, God persisted and said, I'm going to save you anyway. Even though you don't know you need it, though you do not want it, I'm going to do it all by myself. You'll thank me later. And we see Emmanuel coming. Emmanuel means God with us. You ever been mad at folks? I mean, really, really mad. But your Christianity stemmed you from doing stupid. I mean, it just held you back from doing the wrong thing to them. You with me? And then the Holy Spirit, like, inspired you. And you had to do the unusual. And it was their birthday. It was Christmas. And you, you remembered that passage Bless those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what is that to you? Even the Gentiles, the world does that. I tell you, be like my heavenly father. Love those who are your enemies. Be perfect as he is perfect. Matthew chapter 5. You get that? That was your devotion that day. And then all of a sudden, the picture of the, the person who has now been described as your enemy by you <laughs> comes into your mind. You think, Lord, really? Really, Lord? <laughs> Really, Lord, that's... <sighs> and so you send them a little something through Amazon. <laughs> and you think you've done something. And you have. First of all, you haven't done bad. You haven't done wrong. You, you, we think that we've really done something when we haven't retaliated. We pat ourselves on the back, don't we? Whew, I didn't slap them. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But then when we actually do something good to them, we, we're really feeling good about ourselves. I sent them, I sent them a Christmas gift. Oh, it's good. I've changed. See how I've changed, oh, Lord? Now I'll try taking them out to lunch. <laughs> Corporate groan. <laughs> oh, we can send solutions, inanimate things that we think have fixed the problem. 
But what about being with them? I'm hurting myself right now, by the way. I'm hurting myself. Emmanuel. He didn't send an angel. He didn't just send provision. He let the sun shine and the rain fall on the just and the unjust. He'd already done all that. He cared. He has cared for you with his provision and his good. Breathing is a really good benefit. And it comes directly from him. He cares for us even in the midst of our rebellion. But being with us, that's another thing. I'm coming, he says. I'm coming. Because the only way I can help you the best is if I die for all of you. If I can actually let you know by way of touch and hear and sight what it looks like to be loved, what it feels like to be loved. Meet with people who have hurt you deeply. Take them out to lunch and pay for it. I'm speaking out of my own personal experience. I've done that. It hurts. But I get to identify with Jesus in ways like I never have before. God with us. I'm going to do that, he says. I'm, I'm going to bring redemption and help to you in my person. I'm not just sending an angel. I'm not just sending money. I'm not just sending health. I'm sending me. And this beautiful picture of how he decided to come. <laughs> you know, God can come any way he wants. I mean, he's God. He can do it however he wishes. But he decided to come in a way that cost him the most. We, in the Old Testament, there, there are things called theophanies, which are Old Testament appearances of God in the earth. We don't, we don't know what they look like. It's hard for us to even characterize them in, in art. But we do know they happened. Abraham, sitting in his tent, at the doorway of his tent, and he sees these three men, perceived as men, walking by in front of his tent. Now, we're not talking about an like across the street. We're probably talking about in a caravan a hundred yards away. But they have a noble bearing. There's something different about these, these beings. He runs up to them, realizing they're amazing, they're different. And he knows after a minute that it was, it's, it's God. But they're appearing in human form. And he's having a conversation, and God stops off to have a cup of coffee with Abraham. That's pretty cool. I mean, he's got some business, some international business to take care of down in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's about to take care, take care of business. And, and, and he says, should I keep from Abraham the stuff I'm about to do in Sodom? Uh, I probably ought to, ought to go down there and talk to him. This is after Abraham invites him for dinner. And God doesn't, 
God stops his international business to come off and have a cup of coffee with Abraham. And, and not just five minutes. It says that Abraham, when they got there, went out and found a goat in the flock, killed the goat, and then prepared it for a meal. Ladies, how long have you been working on, on Christmas dinner? You get my point. And, and you didn't have to go wring the turkey's neck. It came, it came boxed for you. You had to cook it. He had to hours and hours and hours. God just said, you want to have a relationship with the Lord like that. You, 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 you want to be, be called a friend of God like that, whereby when he's got international things to take care of, he sees you and he says, I'll come, come by and have a cup of coffee. But th this was a theophany. Something of, of an appearance of, of God in the Old Testament as men, but different kind of men. He could have come like that, but he chose to come in the weakest form. He chose not just to be with us, but he chose to be us. He who was omnipotent, all-powerful, became weak, anything more vulnerable than a human baby? In all of creation, no, no part of mammalian life or sea life or, or, or nefarian life, birds, no part of living life takes as long to mature as human beings. They need more help longer than any part of life on the planet. Like, 26. <laughs> Takes a long time for a child to become a man, for a, a girl to become a woman. Sufficient on their own. Long, lots of care. He chose the form to come that required the most assistance. He had no power. He needed Mary and Joseph to provide everything for him in the first 10, 12, 15 years of his life. Omniscient, he knew everything. And now he needed them to train him in education. The flawed, fallen, fallible humanity would now educate the God of the universe. Omniscient. Excuse me, I'm, I'm omnipresent. He was every place. And now he's confining himself to a, a five-pound, 18-inch human body. That'll give you some, some case to, to lean toward claustrophobia. Here he chose to be with us like that. Why? Because there was a body he needed in order to sacrifice for our benefit. He lived a sinless life, and in doing so, he became the sacrifice for us so that we would no longer have to, to, to suffer the consequences of our own misdeeds. Because he didn't sin when he died, and sin caused death, meaning death only came as a result of sin, yet he died without sin. Therefore, death could not hold him because he was not worthy of dying. And as a result, he could rise again. Well, in doing so, he took the punishment for our 
our sin on his own body because he was the only one who was able to do so. Nobody else could do it because we all had to suffer for our own sin. We couldn't die for anybody else's. He was the only one that could die for everybody's. But he needed a body to do that. And so he took on ours. And in doing so, while he was here, I mean, all of that happened, meaning the death in a day. But while he was here, he made good use of this body in letting us know victory can be ours every day. If you depend upon the Father and fellowship with him regularly, you do not have to sin. You can live right. The power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you can, can help you be what you need to be that you could never be on your own. Are you listening? He showed us the way to live. Emmanuel, God with us. So we've got an example, and we've got a redemptive benefit. And as a result, we are saved. This, this is Merry Christmas. This is what it means to celebrate the advent of God coming to help us, the coming of, of the Lord for our benefit. And it's my hope that if you find yourself in a place of rebellion, running from God, resisting his goodness, that you would see how much he cares. And today, realize the benefit that he has given, not only in sending his son for you, but allowing this moment, as flawed as it may be, to be that which presents to you the opportunity to turn you don't have to be Ahaz. You can turn. You can say, today, I'm going to ask you, Lord, for help. I'm going to petition you for my assistance. I need you in my life. He's already given you a sign. The sign that the virgin was with child, and she bore a son. And God has been with you every moment. Acknowledge him as such. Don't just give him the title. Let him have the function in your life as Lord. And for the first time in your, in your existence, you'll have the privilege of living the purpose for which he placed you on the planet. It's good. Yeah, it's great. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Help, please. Help us all to love Christmas like this, to appreciate Christmas like this. We thank you for your resilience and how you endured the, the onslaught of humanity and their poor treatment and their ignorance, all for our benefit. 